Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think what I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Locked and ready. Bombs away! Hey, welcome to another episode of Built to Scale with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. Now, for those tuning in for the first time, the goal of this bi-weekly podcast is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people with a focus being on helping B2B SaaS companies go to market, scale, and win. And today's episode is all about growth, or as some have referred to it as growth marketing. Now, for those of you who are interested in growth or have often wondered how some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies think about growth or more specifically build growth teams, run experiments, and ultimately determine its success, then I've got a real treat for you today because in this episode, I sit down with Matt Bellotti, who's a senior member of the growth team at Drift, who gives us an inside look at how a world-class growth team operates on a day-to-day basis. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Drift, their mission is to turn the internet into a conversation. And one way they're seeing this mission through is by being the first conversational marketing platform. And since being founded in 2015, the company has seen rapid growth. And in 2018, the company raised an additional 60 million Series C led by Sequoia Capital. And during our conversation today, Matt and I discuss why he joined the growth team, how the growth team is structured and what they focus on, the processes and frameworks and tools they use to run growth experiments, and much, much more, including why Matt would like his phone to yell at him. That's right. You heard me correctly. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, We now have visual on target. All right, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. No worries. So today we're going to be talking all about growth. Uh, But before we get started, you have your own podcast. It's about growth on the Drift Network of of podcasts. So how's that going? It's going well. I got about 10 episodes so far, talked to some really cool people, and I've gotten some awesome feedback from listeners and, and appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure you feel the same when people reach out and say that thing was super helpful or, you know, I loved hearing about this. It's it's really fantastic. So a couple of things. I am a listener. You put out some really amazing content, but it's actually how I connected with you. So for those of you who are thinking of starting a podcast, this is one of the reasons why I love having a podcast and love listening to other people because you get a, a sense of what they're all about and if some, someone you want to connect with and talk with further. So now when I was doing the research, I noticed that you had a product background and mm-hmm. then you're still, you know, senior product manager on the growth team, but you've made that shift onto the growth team. Just walk me through that transition. Cause I know you've been at Drift basically since the beginning. What was kind of the reasoning for that transition into growth? Yeah. So a couple, couple things. One, the company was growing a lot, so I was the first PM on the team, and the team was pretty small. And then we scaled up. We had a bunch of products that were uh, already foundational part uh, of the company and the business. And so things transitioned from this world where, as a product manager, you're crafting something where a thing doesn't exist yet and trying to find people uh, who will use this or will pay for it and continue to do so and, and really solving those initial problems. And then you transition as a company to building products as the mindset of how do I make this thing the best version of this thing ever? Uh, And I love that super early big question mark kind of thing. And I'm a little bit less into, at least at this point in my career, the, you know, polish it and craftsman type thing. And and then we had this opportunity open up where we said, all right, we want to start up a growth team. Uh, And it sounded like something new and exciting. And I just love jumping into unknowns. 
Uh, and so I went ahead and did that. And originally I was like, all right, how different is this growth thing going to be from product management? And it is surprisingly very different from <laughs> from my perspective today. Uh, so it's it's been a been a transition for sure, and I've I've learned quite a lot. Now, you being the first PM at Drift, uh, I'm assuming uh, you were interviewed at some point by DC by David Cancel. I read on one of his blog posts. He has an interesting way of of looking at product managers because he's obviously a product guy. What was your experience with him when you uh, first came on the team or when you were going through that interview process with him? Yeah, so I definitely had a bit of an advantage because I had previously worked at HubSpot. And so yes. he knew of me, of my work. And the conversation was like a 30 minute one. And I got a whole uh, red pill, blue pill, you know, red <laughs> pill, you come with us and, and join and jump on in and blue pill, you you move on. And, and then I started working the next day. So <laughs> it, it it was very convincing. Speaking of team, it appears you almost have two growth teams. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm uh, incorrect there, but just talk to me about the team, how it's structured, and maybe how it operates in between some of the other functions, like say marketing. So let me preface this with the structure has certainly changed over the past year and a half, and it changes a lot. And the more I talk to other people who are on growth teams or run growth teams at other companies, it's kind of like product management in the sense that you never really find two that are set up the same way. Uh, and so the growth team itself has gone through a, a bunch of different transition points and and some sub teams and, and all that fun jazz. Today, the, the way that our team is structured is we roll up under the product organization and we are basically entirely focused on the top part of the funnel for uh, for our products. So distribution, uh, meaning acquisition and activation of new users. Uh, and we basically apply our growth process to those different parts of the, the product to get, to get more users, to get uh, higher amounts of distribution across the product. You mentioned that it had changed. Like, How did it change from just, because obviously we're talking the acquisition and activation being kind of the first two mm -hmm. parts of the pirate metrics uh, framework was it uh, responsible for the other part of the, the the framework or the other part of the the funnel? Yeah, absolutely. So we started off with the all right. We're going to look at the whole funnel, right? And I think this is how most most growth teams uh, start going. It's like all right, spin up a growth team, have them look at the whole funnel, and then have them jump in wherever our lowest lowest hanging fruit is. And so that's what we did for our first year. We just kind of looked across the whole funnel and said. Wow, these you know free user to paid rates are super low, and the experience today is kind of messy. So like, let's optimize that part. So we do that for a month, and then we move on to another part of the funnel. And there's kind of a point at which you exhaust all of the the easy wins down funnel, uh, and then the the business has to make this decision of okay, how do you scale a growth team from here? Right? Do you have one team per part of the funnel, right? So like one growth team for acquisition, another for activation, another for uh, retention, another for upgrades and another for churn, right? So you could, you could do it like that, or you can have your growth team applied to one specific part of the funnel and then a, a separate, you know, product team, for example, that owns the SKU. So, right, like they own the, the ongoing usage and the upgrades of that product that, could be considered a little bit more of like a life cycle type team. Sure. Um, 
So, so yeah, at the beginning it was like, all right, like look at the whole funnel, see where you could jump in, get some wins out of this and help us get more out the bottom of it, uh, which we did for a while. And uh, then things get really hard. And uh, once you've exhausted all those quick wins and then a, a lot of the, uh, the bigger impact, at least uh, in terms of priority for a business like ours is at the top of the funnel to get more people in using the product because we have the uh, fortunate uh, part of the funnel around uh, viral loop, which a lot of B2B companies don't sure. have because we get a chat widget installed on a website. So then that means that it has a link back to Drift, which can get other people to install the chat widget. So I think when you, you're running a business like that, uh, once you get through all the quick wins of the funnel, it, it kind of makes sense to pull yourself up to the top. Um, whereas maybe if you're, you know, more enterprise focused business and you're you're not as uh, driven around a, a viral funnel and you already have a, a demand gen system and a lead acquisition system that, you know, operates on its own and there's a very core market that can't just keep expanding, uh, then it might make sense to have a growth team more applied to, all right, you know, how do we get people uh, retained? No, it makes sense. And, and the fact that you guys have the viral loops baked into the product definitely is a, is a key plus there. So because you guys are now kind of, you've moved to the top of the funnel, obviously other functions like marketing are also there as well. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about how the team at Drift Define the growth function, say, versus marketing, and how how do you guys kind of play together at the top of the funnel, or in terms of your responsibilities or what you guys own? Yeah, so I would similarly say it's this like fun evolving uh, <laughs> concept, and and we are basically partners with the the marketing team. So, for example, they own all of the website optimization. So all the things around A-B testing the homepage and A-B testing this other thing and rolling out new content pages and SEO, right? They own that part. And then we partner on specific parts that feed our product-based funnels. So uh, the viral loop, for example, feeds visitors back to a certain page on the website. So we partner with them to run our experiments on that page, uh, that part of the website, but they they own that and we work with them to to run those tests and I would kind of say that that's how it works across most of the the units of the business right we have our product run funnels uh, and they have more of their marketing website SEO uh, run funnels and is this very very much ongoing partnership and I think this is where some some teams get it wrong they see partner they see marketing as like this uh, adversary that they're always getting in our way or why can't we just do all these other things right and i think it's way better to look at it from this perspective of, of okay let's assign ownership that the product team owns these parts or the product based growth team owns these parts and the marketing team owns these parts and then you partner on all those other parts cuz for example, the marketing team isn't spending their days running experiments or thinking about the viral loop. That's our responsibility, but they just own all the systems that power uh, our ability to experiment on top of that. Yeah, and it's it was kind of a a loaded question in a sense because you know even from my experience, sometimes it's really hard to separate on a day to day basis uh, because there's it really depends on 
the situation or, or what's going on in terms of what needs to be experimented on. So I, I asked the question, but knowing, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to really separate out the two. Let's- yeah. And what, what I would just add to that is the way that we view the growth team is we leverage a lot of the things that the rest of the company owns. And so it's really easy for us to go stepping on people's toes. I, I mean, when we first spun up the growth team at Drift, the internal view on from the other engineering teams and the other product teams was we show up, we mess with their code, and then we mess we, and we screw around <laughs> with it and leave, right? And and we just kind of leave this this problem trail in our wake, uh, which which taught us a lot about how we have to think about this stuff and how the responsibility really lies on us as the growth team. That if we want to leverage all these other parts of the business, uh, then we really have to approach it from a partnership point of view rather than a get out of my way. I need to try this thing point of view. No, absolutely. Let's talk then about, you know, when you, when you're working with these teams and running these experiments, talk to me about the process that that the growth team uses to run the growth experiments. Yeah. So we get ideas from everywhere. And then uh, every now and then when we feel like we're low on ideas, we sit down as a team and brainstorm against one specific question. So maybe the question is, how do we get more people signing up for this thing? Or how do we get more users uh, taking this first action, right? So we sit down and we brainstorm that and they go into uh, a tool. Our tool has changed over time. The tool that we use today is Airtable, where we basically have um, all the ideas and things are bucketed around, you know, is this thing an idea? Is this thing something that we're ready to work on? Is this something we're designing or scoping? Is this something that is being worked on? Is this something we're waiting awaiting results on? Or is it something that we've completed and analyzed the results for? And I think a critical component of it, so most growth teams and product teams use some function of uh, like an ICE score or an ICE score, which is impact, confidence, and effort. So how much impact is this thing going to have? What's our confidence level that it's going to work? And how much time is it going to take us? And we have this added layer to it, which I got the idea uh, from talking to the teams over at uh, Dropbox and, and Adobe, who I believe pioneered this, uh, is th- there's another step to it, which is taking the unit economics, right? So yes. it's really great to say that, you know, we're pretty sure that this thing's going to work. And, you know, compared to the others, it's, you know an 8.5 versus a 7.5, like that's great. But especially when you're working on different parts of the funnel, uh, you lose out on tying it back to revenue. So we, we heard that from them and we said, all right, like how do we create this as part of our own process? And so what we did was we found the, the unit uh, economics of every single type of uh, lead or action in the product. So let me just explain what I mean. Uh, the difference would be like, a uh, product qualified lead is worth $10. A um, active user is worth $6. These numbers don't make any sense. Sure, but, just uh, an example. Maybe, yeah, like a PQL is worth $1. An active user is worth $5. And a user that's still active after one month is worth $10. So when we say, all right, we think we can get 100 more active users, then we could run a better formula to say, all right, 100 active users is going to be worth this many dollars versus 
500 more signups, right? Now you're much easier, you have a much easier time to compare things across different parts of the funnel rather than just like weighting everything against this baseline score. So are you saying that you're using the ICE framework or score, but you're adding on a component of revenue impact? Is that essentially... Yeah, so then it kind yep. of gives the uh, gives a little bit more meaning to why. And so, just like with marketing, we don't look at cost per leads; we look at pipeline influence uh, or revenue influence because we know that you can have a whole bunch of leads that actually don't close. You're kind of looking yep. at it the same way. You're saying, "Well, we could have less people that you know get down here, but they're actually yeah. worth more than say signups." where we could have a lot more, but they actually don't make it to that next step. Is that kind of... Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then and then we can look at our list of ideas and say, all right, based on how long these things are going to take and how much they're worth, you know, this thing is worth $1,000 a day to work on and this thing is worth $500 a day to work on based on how much time we think it's going to take. And then uh, part of the vision for it, and I'll admit I haven't been able to build the whole system around this part of it yet, uh, but the vision for it is then you can really tie back the actual impact that you had, right? So then you can go back and fill out, all right, you know, we thought this thing was going to give us 100 more um, active users, but it actually was 53, uh, you know, once we ran the data. And that means that we were uh, this far off from our estimations. And then over time, you get to develop this system where uh, you can actually better estimate yourself uh, based on the prior data because you can learn that, all right, we're, we're overweighting the time that it would take, we're sandbagging by, you know, 1.5x and we are overestimating the number of uh, PQLs that we'll get generally by like 25%. So then you could start to add those things back into the formula and create a better system for uh, here is what we really should be working on next based on what we've already learned, all the experiments that we've run and the the dollar impact that these things are going to have and it's it's hard like we we've been trying to try to build this system and it's certainly not easy but uh i i think that the unit economic stuff is a, a good step towards that you know broader vision because then then it even turns into this place where uh you know it's really easy today to look at a sales team and say how much revenue is each person bringing in because everyone has quotas and they're selling a certain dollar amount um but then you can look at uh, the engineers that have worked on certain experiments and say, all right, these engineers worked on these experiments and it brought in this much revenue, right? You, you can really begin to quantify that impact, uh, which I think is the most exciting part about all of it, uh, is it, it gives you a better sense of how are, how are we individually doing in terms of the experiments that we're running and that we're choosing to run and how they're being executed that are resulting in X, Y, or Z revenue. Now, obviously, that's a way of prioritizing and showing why you're doing these things. Uh, talk to me about Airtable. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, Airtable is kind of like Google Sheets meets a database. And so I've tried all the tools, like for our product teams, for our growth teams, I've tried every single tool, Asana, Trello, Google Sheets, Wikiposts, um, Clubhouse, like all the things that you could possibly use. Monday, right? I've, I've tried them all. And what I like most about Airtable is that it has this like infinitely flexible structure to it so that when your team changes its process, the tool can change with you. Whereas every time I've used another tool and we, you know, look, or we're sitting around the room and we're 
we're you know putting stuff in it we're saying this thing's starting to break right and then we just we kind of blind our eyes to it and then it keeps breaking and it keeps breaking and we like try to change it a little bit but the tool doesn't allow it to flex to the way that it's breaking whereas Airtable all right this thing's starting to break great we could just add these fields and make this formula and have it reference this other thing and then here we go or we can you know resort it and reorder it uh, dynamically and you know get rid of all these other 80 things that are in here with just a couple clicks like it just makes it so easy to evolve uh, and I've, I've never found a tool before that actually evolves with our process the way that we evolve in real life. Let's talk about some experiments. Can you remember a time where a past failure has set you up for future success when you've been running some of these uh, experiments? Yeah, I would say it happens all the time and <laughs> both sides of you know, this thing worked and now we can figure out how to make it work again versus this thing failed and you know, we, we could probably take away that that sort of thing isn't going to work again. Um, we we did a lot of stuff on the uh, actual, like the viral loop of the product. So one example, and it's funny, I, I can go on a bit of a tangent here. It's funny how obvious a lot of this stuff seems in retrospect uh, when, when I explain to people like, oh, this thing worked or this thing didn't. Whereas if you're in the room at the beginning, you know, you have these 10 ideas on the board and you think that those two are going to be the ones that really make it big. Uh, you try them and they just don't work at all. And it's it's always surprising to see that certain things work. And then you look look at them and say, why did they work? And and then you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Right. Yeah. Um, after the fact. Yeah. After the fact. Right. <laughs> I, and um I don't know. One example is in the Drift product, there's this concept called profiles. So if you are a salesperson, you get a Drift profile or anyone with a Drift account, which is your link that you can share with people where they can go and either message you uh, or they can book a time with you uh, or just get more info about you. It's like your online business card. And we have this bar at the top of those pages that said, uh, hey, want to get your own Drift profile? Like click here and do it. And we had those running for a while and we ran a bunch of tests on changing the copy or changing the size of the bar or changing the, the, the text in the CTA or the way the button is structured. And then we did one where uh, we just put a field up there for someone to enter their email address uh, rather than like click to another page to sign up. And lo and behold, it sounds so obvious, the sign up rate went up because uh, while there were less people engaging with it, which we were afraid of, we were like, all right, there's going to be too many people not engaging with it that we're going to lose out on this. The volume of people that actually got through and made accounts went up because we lower the friction. And so then, you know, we, we've taken that, we've applied it to uh, a couple other aspects of the product. I think the tricky part is it's hard to measure uh, before you run experiments of what is the downstream impact of, of that sort of change. So it's important to just be careful of, you know, you can remove friction in a lot of places, but, and while the numbers at the top of the funnel go up, the conversion rates for that group may go down over time. So it's important to just keep an eye on that stuff. Uh, Cause I think we, there have been situations where we got so excited that that, that a certain change at the top of the funnel made this really big impact. Uh, and then, only to sit around later and look back and say, ooh, those those leads didn't really work out that great. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's also probably one of the reasons, and again, I'm, I'm just maybe assuming here, why you went and you added 
the you know, economics uh, component mm-hmm. to the framework. Yeah, because then it forces you to to look back on it at the end. Uh, you know, once the thing is run for a while and pull the actual dollar impact and figure out, all right, where did we misassume or where did we not think about a certain conversion rate dropping or going up? And, you know, it, it, it helps keep us accountable to, to that sort of estimation at the, at the beginning of the process. What are some of the other common mistakes that you've heard other teams making or you've made even uh, your team has made themselves? Yeah, I think a lot of things. Um, <laughs> one uh, would be that I think we discounted how much effort it would take to introduce a new experimentation process and how much learning comes with that, not only for us as a team, but for the rest of the organization, you know, and, and there's some things like basics. I mean, we spent our first month and we ran a bunch of experiments and we had misstructured control groups or didn't run a control group for a certain thing or changed, uh, like ran the experiment in a way that, oh, we didn't actually, we don't actually have anything to measure this against, or we didn't run all the math first to understand how long it would take to know when we can call this thing a winner or not, right? Like we, at the very early stages, we spent a couple of days on on building something and then we turned it on and then we looked at the the results a couple of days later and we ran through a calculator and said, geez, it's going to take another three weeks for us to know if this thing worked or not. And that was just kind of a stupid mistake uh, not doing that at the start. And so we become way, way more aware of making sure that we do those things as part of the process way early on. Uh, before we jump into something, right? Thinking about what are the actual metrics that you're going to track to call a thing a result? What is the control that you're measuring against? Uh, how long is it going to take you to get results? Um, because those things are, are are critical. And I think another thing is it's important to clarify what the mission of a growth team is. I've, I've heard from some growth teams and you know, I'd say similar type of experience early on for us uh, is that a lot of companies that spin up a growth team think that, oh, this is the team that just does random stuff that's beneficial for the business. And so everyone <laughs> expects that team to be, you know, the Swiss army knife that just does whatever random idea comes up, right? And when there's not a good uh, clear line of definition of what parts of the funnel or the product or the business that team owns, uh, they kind of wind up getting stretched all over the place uh, and wind up in this mode where they're running experiments all over. And it's starting to get really hard to take the learnings from those things because uh, they're, they're so different, right? Each experiment is so different from one another exactly. in different parts of the funnel in different contexts that you can't like pull them back together to say, all right, our next experiment is going to incorporate these learnings because now you've gone from working on something on the homepage to doing the upgrade flows in the product to running some, you know, brand new funnel concept uh, over here, right? And you're you're kind of just all over the place. So I think uh, focus is is super important and clarity of focus, uh, both for the team's sake and then the broader company to better understand what, what those teams are focused on. Absolutely. And from my experience too, and maybe you'll agree or uh, have a, another opinion on it, I think a lot of people, when they hear growth, uh, or growth teams, they think that, you know, it, they, they almost apply this, this mentality of move fast and break things. But 
from my experience, it's uh, having the patience to run experiments and make making sure that those experiments aren't influencing other experiments. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that or is there a happy middle? What's been your experience uh, at Drift? Yeah, I, I think that it is certainly a thing that we've run into. You know, we want to move super fast and we want to run all these experiments. Uh, but then we have found ourselves in a place where we've tangled this crazy web where we no longer can accurately say if a certain thing worked or not because we had four different things running and they overlapped too much and we didn't actually think through all right, if we're going to run things on on three clear steps of the funnel, uh, then each step of the funnel has to be properly randomized in order to make sure that it doesn't interfere with the next next experiment, right? And so you can't just like split it in half here on you know some random uh, on some specific number and then use that group for the next experiment in the funnel and the next one. I think that a lot of that stuff is teams will usually learn it by doing it wrong in the first place uh, be, because it's so it, it is fast to realize how quickly you messed that that <laughs> part of it up uh, and it also hurts a lot too because then you're sitting around and you're like oh man our team just got spun up we spent a week on this thing and now everyone's asking us how it went and we don't have a good answer and so it, it's like a quick thing to learn and I think it's a rite of passage <laughs> no for, absolutely for teams. where do you learn? about growth like where where are some of the obviously from doing i would say is i would assume is uh, the number one but are there certain resources that you've gone to uh i know you mentioned some of your your peer group but um give me a sense of of where you've kind of continuously go back to to learn about the uh, growth as a profession yeah i so i've gone through reforge which is yes. uh brian balfour's growth uh academy or, or classes those are those are really fantastic um and then there are a few specific people that i i follow you know uh, and read their blogs and and oftentimes you'll stumble across something uh related to uh the problem that you're having when you're having it if you're poking around and so um casey uh from from pinterest has a lot of really great stuff and um and, and there's a few others too so I would say like if you're if you're looking to follow growth stuff, find a couple people that you think are saying things that make a lot of sense and read into their content because I found that there aren't many great platforms for learning about growth, but more like there are there's a core set of people that are doing things really well. Um, and so watch their talks, right? I've watched talks by Balfour. Find a couple people uh, that that are speaking intelligently uh, around growth and and dig into their stuff. Yeah, and obviously uh your podcast as well. I'll uh, I'll pitch that because it's it is a good uh you know, you've you've done a, a great job at, at going through the basics and getting into some some advanced uh aspects of growth as well. So, we're going to go into a bit of a, a rapid fire session to close off the the episode. Uh so you've got about 60 seconds or less to to give me a, a response. So Matt, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So, first question. Artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Hope. Your favorite app or tool and why? Oh, um Oh, I only have 60 seconds. Oh, I always open my Phone. Uh, Dark Sky Weather app. It is designed so perfectly and answers my questions immediately in the UI. So this is kind of a continuation then. 
what's one thing you wish your phone could do? Yell at me that I keep opening it too much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that seems to be a a trend whenever I ask somebody that question. So next question, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? A good decision today is better than a perfect one tomorrow. Yes, I agree with that. Okay. And what's one thing you've changed your mind about recently? Mm. Oh, this is hard. Um, Oh, geez. Okay, here's one. I thought I was a really good listener, and uh, I've been reading a a book on listening, and I'm realizing that I'm actually pretty bad at it, so I'm trying to get much better. I think we can all improve uh, our listening skills, and one thing I've actually found to be useful to improve my listening skills is actually doing this podcast. Well, Matt, um, where can people find you, uh, find out more about what you're up to on the interwebs? I have a super dejected blog, so don't go there. <laughs> it, it has Drift's uh, test chat widget on it, so there's always random stuff popping up. Um, don't go there. You know, I have the podcast, hashtag growth. You can find it by ser- searching for Seeking Wisdom and Mapalati on, on Google, and uh, and you'll find out what I'm up to there. I tweet some stuff sometimes. I also tweet when I'm uh, annoyed at companies that do stuff that's non-customer centric so some of that stuff sprinkled in there too but yeah and then i i would also say that like feel free to reach out my email is matt at drift.com and i'll uh, i'll put all those things in the show notes as well so matt uh once again thanks a lot for being a guest and and for chatting with me today it, it's been great yeah thanks so much for having me all right man cheers <laughs> <laughs>